as we settle in and get more familiar with uh, this way of experiencing directly, um, we're able to um, come to the view, the liberating view. This liberating view is dependent upon a certain degree of collectedness, uh, composure, stability. Basically because without that there's so much going on that activates and reverberates our thoughts, our wishes to stop thinking, and concerns about what bothers us, wondering what to do about it. Is there an answer? Is there not an answer? Are we something wrong with us? We can't really get it together. And this is also oppressive. I'd like to just stop it all together. And so on, this kind of tangle of reactivities that occur that we're prone to because the system is overloaded with activation. Just reaction, reacting, reacting, reacting. Uh, poignantly, sometimes... Uh, with a sense of, uh, uh, you know, concern for one's well-being, but really not knowing how that's going to happen. And when we have that, what happens? We get concern for our well-being or for the well-being of others or for the future. We start to get very active, think that's going to get us there. That's the instinct. More action will arrive at a conclusion. And... Some action will, but, <laughs> but if it's just this reaction, it tangles and complicates everything. Mm. So we come on retreat, where you, you know, make the attempts to send your <laughs> your activations into just holding a body, tuning in, walking, you know, breathing, and being present with that and listening into that and opening around that and uh, steadying that and uh, listening into that. So some of the reactivity, though it's still present, begins to recede because we're beginning to give more emphasis to the value of the receptive. We do a certain amount of action, obviously, Meditation involves some action, just to sit and, you know, so you've got some body energy there to apply your attention and to put things aside and to focus. And then it's not that much. And most of it's about listening in, receiving. And, you know. and this itself is somewhat different from most people's lives where the receptivity is, is less and the activity is considerable uh, to the point when there can be almost total activity and very limited receptivity uh, and that's when you get reactivity occurs all action, no, no reception Just a <laughs> yeah. and so then can you change the balance even if what you receive isn't particularly pleasant. So there's a reaction to that, isn't there? So we say, okay, well, like, yeah, unpleasant feeling, receiving unpleasant feeling, psychologically unpleasant, 
you know, neurologically unpleasant, physiologically not what one wished for. And recognizing if we can just quell the reactivity and instead open our receptivity, even that this unpleasant feeling, we begin to recognize it can by itself move through. And the sense of not fighting and not struggling and not proliferating itself is a relief. Some things are just not very pleasant. <laughs> you know. Uh, but the tangle is not making it any better, it makes it worse. And if we cultivate like that, then the, the quality of the displeasant becomes less intense, less poignant, because we're not getting tangled up by it. And the possibility of that, that's one possibility that occurs. The other possibility is we start to recognize, yeah, there's the unpleasant, there's also this interesting quality of open awareness, receptivity. It's, it's very comforting in a way, it's steadying. And in that receptivity, I have some movement, I have some choice. I can turn my attention this way and that way because I'm not engaged with that which is difficult or unpleasant. Mm. That ability to feel a little bit freer, and I can engage with, say, breathing in, breathing out. You know, you don't have to do anything, you just tune into it. With something that's got a life force already in it, you don't have to make it happen. Uh -huh. mm. So, it's sort of this process, you know, in very brief, obviously, are lots of details. Then we need to learn to get those skills, but that's the brief, that's the way in which we, samadhi occurs, collectedness. And a simple process of opening uh, within a frame of reference, so it's not spacing out, it's definitely here, it's got some boundaries to it, and yet within that we keep the sustain the openness and the qualities of the pleasant and unpleasant, even the pleasant also, we don't contract around. So it's just pleasant feeling, unpleasant feeling. Then it, there it is. Yeah, life is this in some ways. So mm, the openness itself is more uh, assuring, comforting, uh, stabilizing. Uh, less tangled, less complex, doesn't take any energy to keep it going. Uh, and then maybe mm, with that openness of attention, uh, we open our intention. Our intention is no longer to make, to change, to stop, to gain, to lose, to belong, to find, to discover, it's just to stay open. And that by itself, by itself, it presents us with certain qualities. We feel open, we feel steady, we feel assured, we feel confident, we feel, hmm, this is, you know. And I can see things, I can witness things more clearly. This is itself also comforting and clarifying. And that reduction of the reactivities lightens the web and the weave 
of our actions, reactions, should be, shouldn't be, was with in that mm, this web of interactivity and reactivity as it lightens and the weave opens. Something else. Who's this? Open question. So this turns us towards the liberating view. Liberating view, sometimes described as not-self, anatta, or emptiness, another way of describing it. Mm. But let's talk about something, let's just say we begin with openness, because this is a very simple, uh, not-self can be confusing, what kind of, what's this then? Do I get rid of something? Who's getting rid of what? And am I a not-self or where is my not? So you recognize as soon as your conceiving mind, conceiving attention touches something, it starts to complicate. <laughs> you notice that too. Yeah. Starts to complicate. And the cosmos arises around that. Kind of, and this internal cosmos we call myself uh, it arises with the conceiving drops onto experience yeah. uh, and then and this is me and then myself arises out of that with its complexities but if you're open maintaining openness say well there are definitely there are uh, resonances that occur, uh, feelings occur, resonances occur, activations occur, definitely. And in the open state, they rise, they move, they change. A little bit of reactions occur, they begin to unravel. We keep the openness. Mm. Now, if we look directly at that weave of being, the interweave of being, or becoming as it's called, that which has become, certain things uh, become evident. This is the beginning of the view. The view is called yata bhutang jnana dasanam, which means direct, knowingly seeing or having vision to that which has become. It's not an easy phrase, but it's... Uh, that which has become. So this is what's become. This is the web of becoming. And internally it's called myself. Externally it's called the world. Of which there may be very many different worlds, of course. Uh, but if we look at that, directly look at that weave of myself, what is that? Memories. Feelings. Interests. Resistances. Uh, waverings, uh, surges of interest, tensions, uh, kinds of moods, heart moods, changing energies. So these, all these are, when we're open around them, and we can maintain openness, this is what's there. 
Now, if your attention contracts on any one of them, a mood or a feeling or a thought, it becomes mine. <laughs> so the mine is this result of that certain contraction of attention. Uh, why does attention contract? Because that aspect, that memory, that feeling, that mood, that thought ignites attraction. Either it is attractive because we really don't like it, so we jump on it to get rid of it, or we're rather fond of it, we jump on it to increase it. This is called the energy of, of one is the energy of not becoming, how can I get rid of this thing? And the other is the energy of becoming, how can I make more of this thing? So this is becoming, the grasping, this is the contraction of attention, becoming, and there I am. I am the result of that. That which is uh, memory becomes me. There I was five years ago. There I was. And this thing happened to me. And as we, uh, if we're really honest about it, and open, which is the requirement of, of honesty, to be open, say, well, what are you? Yeah. You know, what? You know, so if you look at your memory patterns, there are essentially a line of things that you have had various kinds of pleasant, unpleasant feeling about. You've been resonating with, enjoying, averse to, hurt by, pleased by. You know, if you actually looked at it objectively, much of your life has gone without trace. <laughs> because it didn't didn't make much significant contact. <laughs> uh, we might, again, if we look very honestly at what feeling is about, pleasant or unfeeling, you see it's an arousal of energy. Uh, energy moves. This experience called contact. Contact, without contact, nothing happens. <laughs> nothing is directly happening. Contact energy moves, that move of energy, contact. Mm. And of course this is uh, you know, what the energy shifts. So now of course this is where this whole idea, the historical self falls apart because probably any given day we can touch a memory, we know that was three weeks ago and boom, it's, there it is alive. Rebirth already. <laughs> <laughs> prove it, there it is <laughs> it just happened <laughs> and some of these rebirths are in hell realms <laughs> some are heavenly <laughs> animal realms I hope most of them at least in the human realm yeah. Yeah. what is it? Just so the idea of historical time is of just an, just an idea in, in terms of actual direct experience there's the movement of energy and uh, the, uh, uh, yeah, the measurement is in terms of contact impressions. And that time doesn't mean very much. Yeah. That's, uh, that's something we create around it. Uh, it's, a, it's a designator. And what time is it if all the clocks disappeared? <laughs> if there are no calendars?
what time would it be? If they put you in a, uh, a cave when it was dark, what time would it be? What would happen to time? And so, how come it can be just mechanical boxes? Yeah. We're so bonded to these devices that we assume they're reality. Mm. So that's the act of, you know, of designation, isn't it? We we give authority to some map or signal to determine our reality, rather than rely on direct felt reality, mm. direct feeling reality. That which has arisen arises with contact. Time, space, doesn't matter. You can be in Geneva or Tokyo and you can still be in that miserable experience you had in Amsterdam. (laughs) 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 Movement of energy. Movement of energy. Mm. Where is that energy? We call it heart energy. Jitta Sankara. It's the activation of the heart. And uh, very succinctly, the Buddha describes his heart energy as perception and feeling. So, in other words, when there's a the experience of something means something. Oh, that's right. That's that, and the feeling, then activation. Right. Okay. And Chitta this activation, and that activation will send a certain shimmer through the subtle body, so then it gets established. Nature of sankara is um, <laughs> the activations uh, become tracks. And that's that's what they're about, really. So we can know something, we remember it. The energy runs down that same track, time and time again. Ah, that's that. This is how to behave. This is how to do this. We remember it because the activation has gone in the same way. So you learn things. So the perception, the meaning becomes established through the activation. If it doesn't occur, we'd have to learn afresh every day, everything. But it gets activated. That's the way it is. Unfortunately, along with that, experience become the emotional tones so that which is worrying you get a worry activation that moves and if that keeps happening many times or depending on how poignant it is the worry formation gets established we become a worrier and a worrier sees worrying things So, out of that formation, personal qualities arise. And it's their familiar, 
They're repeated. That's how we call it me because it's familiar. It's repeated. Uh, and it touches the heart. These familiarities, repeated, touches the heart. That's me because here I am again. And as that process of becoming an, a, an entity, a person forms, then that person sees things in line with that particular sankara. Warrior sees worrying things. Mm. Yeah. So we come into the room, we sit down, we think, carpet. Oh, I wonder if the carpet will get stained. I wonder if creatures will eat the carpet. How long will it last? When will we get a new one if this one wears out? <laughs> the warrior looks at the building, thinks, yeah, that's a nice building, but the woodworm might get into the wood. <laughs> and the wood might rot, and the roof might cave in, and we could be dead. <laughs> and yeah, it's true. <laughs> so we build a worrying cosmos. Now, of course, the fact is we have not just one, we have many dispositions. And we begin to after a while to recognize these dispositions, worry, irritability, impetuous, eager, enthusiastic, romantic, whatever, you know, different formations. These formations color become us and we see things in those light and of course because we have different forms often you know we we come into conflict and with ourselves because we're not a self we're a whole multitude of different energies and moods and feelings mm. so we're just open about that mm. And rather one being right and the other's wrong, is this. And there's the most important thing is not which one's right or wrong, but the ability to not grasp, but to stay open. When the grasping occurs, proliferation will occur. Things become complex, intensified, saturated, and we get contracted into that and see the world in that way. Now, if I experience the worrying tendency, I notice the worrying tendency is like this and it starts to activate on people. Oh, she doesn't look very happy. What's the problem with him? How am I going to sort things out for her? Uh, the person in the back looks like falling asleep. So-and-so's got bad knees. What am I going to do about this? Uh, get me out of here. Help. <laughs> it's overwhelming. <laughs> yeah. They say, oh, it's a worrying tendency. I'm just so open to that. And how does that settle? How does that settle? What does this need? Uh, some compassion. Uh, stay open, compassionate, soften, widen, soften, don't contract. Mm, that worry moves through 
and it's replaced by something else like tender-heartedness, sympathy, alertness. So the emotion, however confused or tangled it can be, if we stay open to it, it can transmute into something rather beautiful. Our anger turns into strength. Our fear turns into alertness. Our worry and grief turns into compassion and love. Mm. Through staying open to it. Through also through opening the heart to it. How does the heart stay open rather than contract? Well, you hold your heart with your body. This is, in fact, this is what samadhi is about, another way of expressing it. Okay, again, as the Buddha says, his teaching, you know, thoroughly knowing the entire kaya sankara, the bodily energy, the bodily formation, the bodily process, thoroughly directly apprehending that, staying with that. And this process then bonds or unites that receptive heart quality with the body energy. And that gives it some strength, some bonding, some grounding. In fact, without this, that heart energy will naturally bond to the what's called the Vajji Sankara, which is the mental conceiving energy. So in other words, it bonds to thinking. It bonds to ideas. And it feels extremely stirred, aroused, disappointed by ideas. So the Sankaras always link up. You know, you know, the energy forms. Cosmos is an energy form. Self is an energy form, constantly evolving. It needs three channels. So if a heart bonds to the, the conceiving energy, which it often does, because it so, uh, can give us so much, we can think of wonderful things and terrible things and very active, heart bonds to that, it's bonded to that. Uh, yeah. But it has no way of discharging, no way of releasing. Thought doesn't release anything. It creates more. That's its duty, that's its job. The body's job is to discharge, relax and refresh. Activate, deactivate. Do something and then return to balance. You know, lift something and put it down. So it activates and deactivates. That's it knows it, that's what it does. It does it with every breath actually. Breathing in activates, breathing out deactivate. Mm. 
receptivity remains there, you know, that's another nature. Uh, that's the awareness. The sankhara activates and deactivates. It means releases, discharges. You can be aware of the activation and the deactivation. Now, when the heart is bonded to that, the heart also learns how to deactivate. There's that memory, that feeling, that poignant sense, here it is, I'm with that, and uh, breathing out. The heart also learns how to breathe out, how to release. So in this way the body leads the heart. The heart releases, and in that release of activation, release of activation, the stilling of sankhara, doesn't mean it's dead, it just means now it's gone into its latent state. What's left? That moment, that split second, that five minutes or whatever it is, open, receptive, nothing happening. But felt. So that quality of absence is extremely present. It's not tangled. It's not activated, and yet it's deeply sensed and felt. Now, if what we experience ourselves as being is this weave of activations, of remembering things, planning things, thinking things, being affected by things, contact. And if that deactivates, oh, <laughs> right? What self is there? Mm. It's open, isn't it? What is a bell when I'm not ringing it? Mm. So the bell, when I ring it, it's a bell. Listen to the sound, there's the bells, and then the sound fades away. Where did the bell go? Where did the bell go? <laughs> did you throw it away? No. Did you hide it? No. Was it really there? It was for a while. Where did it go? It went out. Now he's back again. <laughs> right? So this is where the Buddha wouldn't exactly deny a self or affirm a self. He says it goes out. And so somebody would say, well, where does it go to? He says it goes out. <laughs> it goes out of where? It just goes out. And the things you don't exist, I wouldn't say that. It means you do exist. I wouldn't say that. What would you say? It goes out. <laughs> and through that process, 
what comes back in again, and what returns, is cleaner. Because in that going out, the tangling and the unnecessary and the, the complex uh, doesn't have to be reborn. If openness, if there's that openness, so we're aware of that, staying open to that. And the openness, if it remains, doesn't do grasping. When it doesn't do grasping, there isn't that forming up. You know? There isn't that you know, primary formation we call birth. Grasping at what? At feeling, perception, and so forth. So that which is felt is felt, which is perceived, impressions that arise are impressions. They don't carry the weight of ownership, possession, fascination. Yeah. Green is green, blue is blue. It's a perceived. Mm. So with the open view, we can recognize that that which has come into being internally called myself, that's this experience, is really a blend of resonant energies energy formations, sankharas. And they're embedded, they get embedded, and they become memory. Memory perception. And perception then, memory is able to reactivate. You know, I remember that. It reminds me of this, I'm activated again. Yeah, I remember that terrible incident in so-and-so, I'm activated again. Yeah. I notice something happening, it goes in, I perceive it, I'm activated. Mm. And then not giving due attention, due time, due process, due care, not perhaps knowing how to deactivate, all that stuff stays clogged in the subtle body and in the heart. So there's been no way of any of that releasing the worrying has been held back, but it's still lingering there as a kind of clogged condition that's ready to go again. The disappointment, the hurt is still stuck there. So memory traps it all. The body remembers it. The subtle body gets distorted by it. The heart gets shaped by it. Yeah. Yeah. So these sankharas shape us if they're not released. And some of them extremely damaging shapes, jealousy, uh, aversion. And so forth. And damaging shapes. And so the heart is then formed and contracted in that particular way. 
And in that particular way, that contracted way, we see things in the light of that contraction. The warrior sees the worrying. Yeah. The irritability sees that which is annoying. The fearful person sees that which is threatening. Mm. So the heart shapes, it shapes what we see. And as we attend to it, establishes a cosmos. I live in a world of threatening beings, threatening people. This is how it arises. And then I'm a fearful person. Because I'm fearful, I'm very defended. I'm tight, contracted. As the heart contracts, it loses its intelligence. It loses its sensitivity. So I don't even really know it because the heart's been so shaped and contracted that it loses its subtle intelligence. So we become sort of half-hearted, a bit numb, a bit seized up, just reacting. And the seizure, when this highly activated heart, which has not been able to release its activations, loses its sensitivity, loses receptivity, doesn't know itself, only knows its reactive patterns. That's all it knows. Well, that's most of what it knows. However, that's not the final truth. Because as, if, as long as that's there, something that says, ah, not suffering, this is where the Buddha said, this is where you come in, dukkha. I know I'm suffering. I'm least receptive to that much. <laughs> and as somebody said, some people don't even know they're suffering. Yeah. Stressing. So this is so contracted. I think it's the problem is the world out there. And so contracted suffering and that sense of is there and suffering is a condition for the arising of faith. When the suffering is a condition for the arising of faith. It's not a cause, because some people suffer and don't get faith. <laughs> but it's a condition whereby as one is experiencing that dukkha, something can say, there's got to be a way out of this, somehow, with that much receptive. And of course that waking up is an uncomfortable process, because in that waking up we begin to sense the contraction of the heart, the fear, the cynicism, the despair, the reactivity inner complaining, the aversiveness, the passion, the greed, it's not very pleasant. Mm. So so just go into your body. You can do openness of body. You open the body, the subtle body, that will be able to hold those heart impressions that your heart can't manage. So you can feel the sense of contractedness or tangledness from an embodied perspective. Uh, And the body knows how to release. That's its gift. Even if those releases are momentary or just enough to the extent to which one can see Oh, this sense of aversion is actually 
not me, it's something, a pattern that happens to me. That's your first level. You know, it's unpleasant, but it happens to me rather than is me. That's a, definitely an awakening. Let me stay open. And as those senses are more properly felt, sensed, uh, no longer so reacted to, because we've got a place that can hold them without reactivity, then the reactivity diminishes a continuing process of release can occur. This is the body's gift. Because although what happens to the heart goes into the body, if they're connected, that is, the body, subtle body, can surpass the contractions of the heart. It can breathe out. It can experience that endings and beginnings. On its own, the heart just gets into reaction and reacting to its reactivity and then thinking about its reactivity and then reacting to how we're thinking about our reactivity and then trying to stop thinking about our reactivity and then it just goes into a spiral. The body by itself doesn't have that reactivity. A subtle body. It can feel and sense, but it doesn't proliferate. That's not what it does. It can't do that. It can feel and sense and be shocked and shaken and hurt, but it doesn't have proliferation. It doesn't mentally conceive and construe and complicate things. It's very simple. And taking those emotional pangs into the body, let go of the proliferation, the mental, conceptual proliferation, as emotions can move and change. And as we let go of the conceptual proliferation, it's an uncomfortable ride sometimes, then they transmute into something more harmonizing. Instead of being a warrior, I'm concerned. I have concern. Mm. In the process of discharge, releasing, we come to the other aspect of not-self, we've recognized these patterns and processes that I seem to be when the reactivity ceases, they're not what I am, they're what happened to me. Yeah. As we go more open and able to penetrate more deeply, then even the sense of who they happen to, uh, that also can be relinquished. That's a conceptual proliferation. That's another idea. The happening, the receptivity that receives it, and when the receptivity that receives things receives the fading out of impressions, 
And we stay open. There's openness to that. A designation and the grasping myself, this is me, this is mine, doesn't need to happen. Hmm? So, you know, and then uh, people say, what's that? Now you're trying to conceive it. (laughs) And as soon as that action occurs, Everything starts to, cosmos arises, we start to go into complications and where did it come from? Is this an eternal soul? What happens after death? And is this my true nature? Is it pure being? It starts to get rather complex in there. Is it the same for everybody? Is it myself, yourself, our unified self? And the teaching is, all this is conceptual proliferation. If you avoid conceptual proliferation, what is the experience is called release. If you want to call it anything. And most important, it feels good. <laughs> and even more important than feeling good, it's exceptionally stable. And even more important that, it's exceptionally useful. (laughs) Because it's something that once you've revealed that foundation, if you like, and you've understood the process of how that revelation occurs, the non-grasping, then your your intentions, your activations, incline towards that non-grasping. Doesn't mean we don't handle anything, it means we don't grasp it. Non grasping means not what will I be, what should I be, but oh, let's see what happens. <laughs> let's see what happens. When there's an engagement with purity. In the mornings we practice engaging with our voice as a very simple, embodied and heartful connection. Bring the body in, bring the heart in, bring the breath in. We engage. What happens? Sound happens. Do we say, everybody must make the same sound? No. Do we say it should be a high sound, a low sound, a sweet sound? No. Do we say it's got to be useful? No. Joyful? No. Just make the sound. Engage heart, body, and the sense of just openness. Let's see what arises through that. Engage. Engage the heart. What happens? Sound arises. Mm. And essentially this is the nature of the engaged action of of an awakened one. Their whole life is a song.
unplanned, unexpected. Mm. On retreat, we can begin to sense some of that. This is our apprenticeship. Yeah. Very, very small engagements, walking, moving, open the mind. Uh, what seems beautiful? Bring up the intention, the heart. What seems beautiful now? What seems right, pure now? What's loving now? What's caring now? What's helpful now? What's straight now? Bring up the intention. And in retreat situation, we're keeping our actions quite simple to purify the initiation of action. Just the where it's coming from, and sustaining the purity of that intention, which is the action of walking, without anywhere to go, and without any particular standard or style being you've got to walk this way just let the body fully walk in itself with no aim other than to fully walk how does it go how fast does it go when there's no sense you've got to go fast or slow or middling when there's no you have to be this or that or mindful or concentrated or the right standard or style or technique when all that's gone it's just the engagement and openness to it. Mm. Walking, particularly walking meditation, is a very useful way to learn engagement because perhaps of all the postures, it's the one that most closely resembles, even in a very stripped-down, simplified way, our normal living environment. Normally we are moving around in something, handling something, touching something, aware of something. There's something that we're in. We walk through our life. We walk through our day, even physically not walking, but that's that sense of there's something around that I engage with. This is a good way we learn how to gather yourself, collect yourself, be open, and do the movement, bring the movement in. You want to plan something you want to do, you want to get something done, fixed, built, so forth, just start. Poise, right intention, right aim, right effort. What is right effort? The carrying of the heart. Away from worry, doubt, fear, passion. Just carrying it steadily. Right effort. Uh, and then we'll see what arises from that. This may seem kind of like not going to get very far, but um, that's what the Buddha did. And because of that, we've had 2,500 years (laughs) of teaching, practice, encouragement, cultures, traditions coming out of that willingness to take a walk. So all of us have that possibility. Right effort. Mm. 
And we're already in our walk, we're already walking in our lives. So, first of all, rehearse the possibility of engaging and deactivating. Action and release. Activation, deactivation. Begin to relax that grasp of wanting it to be a certain way, expecting it, planning it, strategizing what it will be. Begin to relax that, that sense of becoming, aiming for a future. The future will arise, always does arise, by itself. What we need is to get that future in line with true intention and purity. So if our heart is based on pure intention and truthfulness, what will arise will be of that nature. If it's based upon worrying and strategy, what will arise will be in that nature. We create our future now through our quality of our intention. Now those habits can be so strong that in order to make things go right, to make sure I get it right, quickly, right, quickly, the, the intention is already hasty, blurred, and we've already planned something before it's happened. Yeah. And we didn't listen, really open. We didn't trust openness to guide us. Instead, this planning self arises. This is something to be really aware of, that tendency, because it's established, the world runs on it, but that's exactly what happens to you. The world runs you. <laughs> now, is it possible to engage from a different place? We're learning that, interested in that. So in this way, this process of realization and release and emptiness and allows us to enter life, fill it, fill it with the purity of heart and see what will arise. Because I sense and I trust that the base of it, what you like to arise for your future, is that which is most true and beautiful for yourself and for others. And this is where it comes from. So this is the liberating view. The view that liberates and the view that makes our life rich. Let's take some time for direct practice.